Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the Boymanship Podcast. We're back for another week. Let me make sure this is shared everywhere where it needs to be shared. Uh, but we're back another week. We, we're back with a lot of familiar faces. You'll see more people coming in as we're here. But let me uh, do the rundown of everybody on stage right now. Our returning guest, after a long time, it's been almost a year uh, since we've seen uh, uh, Mr. Mike Taylor, the official political correspondent of the Boy Mission Podcast, is back <laughs> here to talk about uh, semi-political news with Colin Powell. Um, but uh, here back, nonetheless, welcome back, man. We 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 missed you. It's been it's been a, a long year. It's been a long year. Thank you so much. It's good to be back. Then we have another returning guest, um, <laughs> the original uh, yeah. uh, Sheldon. We couldn't we couldn't sit around and talk about uh, one of the most famous Jamaicans in history. That's right. Without me, kid. without uh, our 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 Jamaican connection, yeah. uh, live and direct here yeah. today. Yeah, you'll see yeah. you'll see a few more people uh, coming on board um, in a little bit. Uh, but for now, we'll, this is who we got. So we'll roll with it. So uh, uh, last week, you know, we uh, I, I about 8 a.m. on Monday, uh, I was told and surprised uh, by the headline that Colin Powell, uh, former Secretary of State, uh, former uh, Chief of Joint Ch- Ch- Head of the Joint Chief of Staff. Um, former uh, four-star general, uh, had succumbed to uh, coronavirus because, um, you know, I never even had heard that he had it in the first place. Um, it was a surprising uh, moment uh, for me um, because of who he was, not only politically, but, you know, he was somebody who was respected across the aisle. He was someone who is a American hero um, and to kind of, you know, go away to uh, what uh, has been plaguing everybody, uh, meaning this coronavirus was, was surprising. Um, I, I, uh, immediate thoughts of Colin Powell um, are that, you know, he was one that was uh, a first in many ways, in a lot of different things. And he also uh, was, you know, just a, a figure that was kind of like the Forrest Gump of American life uh, in the last 60 years. Yeah, anything uh, you think of uh, from uh, the civil rights movement to Vietnam uh, to even Iran-Contra and then to uh, the election of, of Bush one to Reagan Clinton, he's there in every uh, uh, step of the way. So uh, big loss uh, for everybody. Uh, I, I, I wasn't expecting it, uh, nor was I um, uh, really ready to fully deal with the, the impact of such a loss. So it was, it was, it was definitely sad. Mike, I know, I know, you know, you're you're always our more politically astute guy, um, and you know, uh, you have a lot of 
uh, feelers out there, especially what was kind of the impact that you felt on that day with General Powell or Secretary Powell passing? Yeah, thank you, Mr. Wonka. Uh, you know, when I got the news, the first thing I said was, well, you know, this is big. I literally, that, that was literally what I said. And it, it's big not because of the fact that Colin Powell became a household name. I think it was big in the fact that Colin Powell represented, um, Colin Powell represented uh, one of the last of this generation that was uh, purely patriotic and apolitical. And I say that because, you know, he, he gave a story about when he was traveling in the South, um, you know, as a young man and during the Vietnam War era in the 1960s, and it was 1964. And of course, he said, he didn't reveal that he had a Lyndon Johnson sticker on his car, but you know it was clear that that's what he had on his car. Um, he was pulled over by a white officer, and the white officer was actually giving out Barry Goldwater uh, campaign signs or stickers, bumper stickers. And when he saw that it was an African-American driving, and I believe the state was Alabama, he said, don't you know better? And Colin Powell says, uh, yes, sir. I'm sorry, sir. And that was the last time Colin Powell ever held out publicly for a political office, I mean, a, a political party or candidate. Let me just disclose as, before I continue, um, all of the views that I'm sharing are my personal views. I wanna make that clear. All of the views that I'm sharing are my personal views and are not representative of anyone else. Um, now, now that that's aside, it's interesting because Colin Powell went on, even though he supported a very liberal president, uh, Lyndon Johnson, um, he, went in, he went on to serve in the administration of Ronald Reagan. And of course, Ronald Reagan famously said that his goal every day as president was to chip away at the legacy of Lyndon Johnson. Um, this is a man who was able to, on R Ronald Reagan's final day in the White House, cry. He cried when he witnessed Reagan taking one last look at the Oval Office before he left uh, because of the fact that he felt like this is a man who respects the institution, right? This is also a man who restored confidence in the military. Um, there was this huge gut punch to the American um, confidence in terms of where our standing in the world was after Vietnam. Um, you know, v the Vietnam veterans did not return home in the same manner in which the World War II veterans returned. There were no t like ticker tape parades for Vietnam veterans or anything like that. Um, a lot of folks are still dealing with the psychological impacts of that war today. And so what Colin Powell does is he comes up with what's known as the Powell Doctrine. And the Powell Doctrine. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to. I was adding and physical uh, oh, yeah. uh, 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 issues still, still from that war. You know. Yeah, most definitely. And, and and you know what he does is he comes across and says, okay, before we get involved militarily uh, in another war, we need to make clear what our objectives is, what our objectives are. And so Ian Bremmer, uh, who was the Eurasia uh, Group president, actually in his book. Um, entitled um, Superpower, Three Choices for America's Role in, in, in the World. He summarized the Powell Doctrine in eight points. And, you know, you got point number one, is there a vital national security interest? Uh, number two, do we have a clear and alternative objective? Number three, have the rules and have the risks and costs been fully, um, you know, accounted for? Um, you know, it, it's a very specific uh, line of questioning. Have all other nonviolent policy means been fully exhausted? 
Is there a plausible exit strategy to avoid endless entanglement? Have the consequences of U.S. action been fully considered? Is the action supported by the American people? Do we have genuine broad international support? Um, these you know, questions serve as guidelines in terms of how he was able to be victorious as chairman of the Joint Chiefs um, you know, during the Bush 41 administration. Uh, you're talking about how he was successfully, not just even before Kuwait, you're talking about the invasion of Panama, uh, the Panama, the Panamanian Gulf, I believe, you know, that was a success. And all of a sudden, American confidence in the military and our standing in the world uh, comes back largely because of Colin Powell. And, you know, a lot of folks say, well, look at the Bush, the Bush 43 administration when he famously went to the United Nations and showed that vial. Uh, knowing that there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And, you know, my response to that is Colin Powell, above all else, was a soldier. And when you're in administration, you can't buck the messaging <laughs> of, you know, you know what the, the, the commander in chief is telling you to go out uh, and say. And, you know, he, his his opposition to the Iraq war was made very clear to George W. Bush. Uh, and George W. Bush revealed that. Um, and so I think Colin Powell, you know, looking at how he was able to stay true to principles. And there were times when Republicans were on those principles for him. And there were times like in 2008 and 2012 when he endorsed Barack Obama. And he said, this is who I'm going with. You know, and he got some, you know, pushback from his party on that. And then you go fast forward even recently with the January 6th insurrection. And he was able to call out and said, this is disgraceful. What happened to the what happened to our institution? Uh, what happened to our symbol of democracy is a disgrace. And he said it without fear of backlash from the Trump Republicans uh, or, or what it means for um, him in terms of his reputation in the long run. Yeah, I, I, I think um, I, when I think of Colin Powell's legacy, I also think about um, the fact that he was first all those times and everything, right? And often he was looked at, you know, some people try to look at, at it as tokenism. Uh, but, you know, he, he was he was strong and, and wise enough to embrace some of those uh, criticisms and really put it in a in a in a in a, a really nice way. Let me let's play a, a clip of of some of what he had to say um, when he was questioned on affirmative action. Very often I've been given assignments that were good assignments and people said, well, you know why Powell got that job? They needed a black guy. And um, my answer to that, when I hear these rumors coming back, you know, that's why you got the job. I just smile and say, well, fine. For 200 years, I didn't get the job because they needed all whites. So I'm not going to argue about that. The only thing that's going to count now is not I got the job or I didn't get the job or how I got the job. The only thing that's going to count is my performance. We could have done this all along if we had had the opportunities in earlier years that were now being given to me. And my obligation to all of the blacks who came before me was not to cry racism, but to do my very, very best and to perform. And to say, judge me on my performance, not my color, not my background, not my immigrant background, not my growing up in the streets of New York. You judge me on what I do, period. It's all I want. Yeah, and, and I think that clip shows kind of the mentality that, you know, I always remember him for, but it was, a, it, it must have been a struggle. The reason why we named this episode The Black Republican, because there's uh, an obvious struggle in 
in in that right in in the things that uh, he had to endure politically. Uh, one thing um, that people don't talk about often because it's kind of a uh, a dark stain on American history is the fact that the Republican Party very much wanted him to run in 1996 against Bill Clinton to peel the black vote away from the Democratic Party. They felt if they could do that, uh, they would be able to be victorious. Uh, two things it shows. It shows um, how deathly afraid of, of the Democratic Party, the Republicans, I mean, the, of Bill Clinton as a Southern Democrat uh, uh, Ivy League educated, smooth talker. Um, um, they 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 wanted desperately to get rid of him um, and erase his name from American lexicon and make him a one term president. And the other side of it was that you know one of the reasons why Powell didn't run was he received a a, a, a historic amount of death threats and his wife. Uh, was actually the person who made him promise uh, not to run. I, I always found that interesting that, you know, four years later, um, the interest for him running had waned because uh, there was a new all-American evangelical candidate ready uh, and, and roaring to run for president. So I, 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 I think Powell, again, is that Forrest Gump that is always in every episode of American history that we see on TV. I think his backing of Barack, Barack Obama, um, some took it and they started calling him a rhino. I won't, I won't mention uh, what the 45th president said about him and his death. I think it's uh, uh, abysmal. Yeah, it's it's beneath this this uh, podcast to say uh, what was there. I I, I will say that I am shocked uh, by the lack of Republican repudiation of those statements. I think um, it was disappointing to me because I think you know everyone plays politics um, um, on camera, but I think uh, that was personal. I would have wished that the Republican would have. uh, uh, walked a different line and 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 dealt with some of that. Yeah, but Shelby, I'll go to you. Uh, one of the things that we talked about often on this uh, this show is we talk about immigration um, and that you know immigration has been the competitive advantage of the United States uh, for since its beginning, uh, and uh, the new crop of immigrants have always fueled the working class and with the goal and dreams of working into the upper class of, of America. And, you know, all of a sudden now we are, we're, uh, you know, five years of anti-immigrant rhetoric. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, I, I went to Burger King the other day to get my children a, a, a meal. They were begging for it. And I pulled up to the drive-thru and, and the lady said, I'm working by myself. You have to come in. Uh, there's help wanted signs everywhere. Everywhere right now. Yeah. Uh, and people yeah. are saying it's because unemployment, people had that, but people have been off the unemployment. The fact yeah. is that you've been running immigrants off for yeah. five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Powell, bringing it back to him, mm-hmm. was the poster child of, of mm-hmm. what immigration does for mm-hmm. America. Mm-hmm. Two immigrant Jamaican parents, Jamaican parents coming, you know, before mm-hmm. uh, immigration was actually cool, right? Yeah. It wasn't really till the '60s that mm-hmm. you know a, a lot of people from Jamaica <clears throat> or the 
the West Indies, Caribbean, or Africa could actually mm-hmm. come over. Mm-hmm. Right? There wasn't. They were a lot, a lot over, and they came out working working class parents in the Bronx. Yeah, uh, grew up in New York. Yeah, uh, and he becomes this this figure. Uh, your thoughts? You know, um, it's it's interesting. Um, so. I have I have two sentiments on it. Um, I, I'm glad you are talking about um, immigration, but I, I wanted to kind of tell you a story that I found out from my grandfather um, at my, my my grandfather's hundredth birth hundredth birthday. Um, so I didn't know that in the 1950s or the 60s, 1960s that he would come to United States and work and then go back to Jamaica. Never knew that. He was one of the, you know, th- there was like some type of uh, plan or organization. It may have been even earlier than that, where farmers from Jamaica and all these other places would come to Ohio, would come to different parts of the U.S. and um, work, work, work land and then go back home. To your point, for me, I do feel like things that have been working for U.S. for such a long time are being changed because of the vitriol that we've created over these last couple of years, um, where we've looked down on um, on not only immigrants. Well, yeah, let me just, let me leave it there since that's where we are. Um, and it, 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 it is, it is difficult because we can see that a lot of it is breaking down America if, if we don't accept or if we don't embrace the culture of America, which has always been a country of immigration. It is all that, that is the, without us even really saying that's the backbone of America. It's not, it, 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 you know, we are. There is only one native people, right? So if we destroy the very core of who we are as America, we destroy America. And that's what's happening. Like you said, you know, everywhere you go right now, it's there are help wanted signs everywhere. It's it's un it's unreal to me. It's unreal to me. Um but I always on, on the flip side, I always looked at um colon. You guys say colon. I always call them Colin because you know, the, the Jamaican in me cannot get Colin in my brain. Jamaican in me calls him Colin. So I was always proud. I was always happy to see the heights that he reached. And it was something that um, allowed many individuals, not only of, you know, of any um, immigrants um, upbringing, it was something that we looked at in a different way. And it was, it was, it was a proud, it was, he always made us feel proud. There was never a moment where it was like, he's Jamaican. No, no, no. It was always like, yeah, he's Jamaican. Or he's, 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 a, you know, he's, he's from where you are. And, and he stood up for what he, what he believed in. But, you know, there's a lot to what I just said. Overall, I believe that immigration is an important thing. And we've got to be very careful to not destroy it. Because if we destroy that, we destroy a lot of the fabric of America. 
I, I think if you look back and, and Mike, I know you remember this moment when Obama was running the first time and uh, 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 Colin Powell at the time, you know, uh, they, were, they were trying to start these rumors that he was Muslim. Right. And that was uh, a way of uh, middle America finding a way to make him other and not vote for him. Um, and Colin Powell famously came on TV, said, well, first of all, you know, he's a Christian, but what if he was Muslim, you know? Um, and I, I think between him and John McCain's repudiation of the dirty politics of Obama were what brought, you know, really a new day, you know, to America in 08 and 09 and 2010, where, you know, everyone was more uh, together a little bit, you know, then we had the Tea Party movement, of course, that um, carried into uh, the 2016 election. Um, but I, I, I still believe that it's statementship like that, uh, that really uh, made the political environment uh, tolerable uh, and it made it uh really gave Obama the chance to be accepted by, by mainstream Americans. Yeah. 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 You know, every time I think about the comparison between Colin Powell and someone like, you know, gentleman, Larry Elder, who ran for governor, you know, black conservatives, Ben Carson, Candace Owens, there's a stark contrast. Um, when you go back to, you know, Colin Powell's career and where he stood you you can you know you mentioned ninety six. I was born ninety six, and <laughs> but I, I knew I knew that. Well, uh, let's let, let's pause there for a moment. Money. Um, it's okay. You, you were you were born when October twenty eighth, nineteen ninety six. I'll be Yo, we, I was I was that was the year I graduated. <laughs> Yeah, okay. yeah, he was born while you were in college. We were in college. We're in college. I was in college yeah. at this point. Yeah. Right, ahead, I brought it up because, you know, that was the year where a lot of people were saying, here we have a, gen a guy who's, you know, a soldier, someone who is involved, not just a soldier, but someone who was chairman of the Joint Chiefs, someone who understands foreign policy. And I know one of Bill Clinton's weaknesses in terms of, you know, where his critics came at him was that he wasn't a strong foreign policy president. And you're talking about um, his failure to get Osama bin Laden. You know, he, he even touted that as one of his failures as president. Um, when you look at the history of Colin Powell, there's a there's a clear understanding that his principles really guided his politics. And you don't really see that uh, from a lot of these prominent uh, voices in the black conservative movement. You see a, a shift. For instance, Larry Elder, during his radio program, had more of an intellectual appeal. He was, you know, debating point by point, line by line when it came down to affirmative action. Uh, whether or not it's been a, beneficial. And now all of a sudden you have Larry Elder saying outrageous things in this Trump era, like, mm -hmm. you know, the descendants of white slave owners deserve reparations if we're going to give it to, uh, if we're going to give reparations to the descendants <laughs> of slaves. So Colin Powell was consistent, right? And we don't see the consistency uh, in, in a lot of these prominent black conservatives. And again, the viewpoints I'm expressing are my own. When you look at... Um, you know, Ben Carson, for instance, when Ben Carson was secretary uh, housing and urban development secretary just last year in 2020 under the Trump administration, he rolled back uh, an Obama era policy, the affirmative 
uh, furthering ha fair housing regulation, uh, which was a regulation, you know, the Obama administration imposed in 2015 that was designed to diversify suburban communities. Shortly after they do, they rolled back that regulation, Trump goes on Twitter and he says, um, you know, I saved your suburbs. Um, so there's a, there's a clear understanding that uh, a lot of the black prominent voices in, in conservative media today and in government um, are doing things, are being a part of uh, what we would call historically as dog whistles, uh, but using their their race to say, look, we understand that this has enough, this has no bearing. We want to have no advantage. We want to be on this equal playing field with everyone else. I think Colin Powell understood that being a black conservative doesn't mean that you deny the fact that there is an unequal advantage um, that white America has had over the African-American community. You know, he's mentioned the fact in the clip you played that, you know, 200 for 200 years, they've had the advantage, you know, but the, the issue now is how do I prove myself in the, in the performance of my job? And I think that's where his conservatism, the, I, the, 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 you know, the self, you know, reliance, do it yourself, uh, the ingenuity, that's really where that kicked in. And I think that's a stark difference from a lot of the voices you hear in the black conservative movement today. Yeah, I, I would agree with, I agree with everything you just said. I would add also that I think the age of Trump uh, has proven that certain tactics as nefarious as they are work. You know, uh, I think a lot of people, you know, uh, you know, there was a, a certain gentlemanness to politics, you know, Not anymore. if you, if you even look back to the debates between like Ronald Reagan and everyone, I think the reason why Ronald Reagan, you know, as much as I disagree with many of his, 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 his politics, if not most, he was, uh, you know, a quintessential American president, right. With the respect for the office, really uh, not bucking norms, right? Um, really, you know, at least in public, um, keeping a level of decorum that you would feel uh, was, you know, of the office. I, I think when you had a president, you know, uh, on Twitter demeaning, saying vile things, um, saying vile things in public, um, we won't even go into Helsinki, I think all bets are off. <laughs> I think people have realized outrage wins, you know, uh, even if it's short term. I would argue to people who feel that way that, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, President Trump was the only president uh, in how many years not to win reelection. Um, they lost the Senate and the House. But can I ask uh, you a and, question, though? In states. Can I ask yeah. you a question. Mm -hmm. Because as you're saying it, I'm re I'm realizing how much of a double-edged sword this is. Sure. Um, because you know, I know this is not where we where this topic is, but it is a such a double-edged sword. Because now I'm looking at the whole permit me the Dave Chappelle situation, right? Sure. Um and. While I, you know, I, you know, I've, I've watched all his specials, whatever the case may be, and I, I don't feel like he holds the same. His voice doesn't. Uh, how do I say this? His voice resonates at a different level 
than a presidential voice, but it still resonates. And he's able to get away with certain things that because of the political nature of a president, he can't say certain things. Um, do but should it but really should it matter because i hear here's what it really boils down to for not only for me but what the what people are saying and man i'm 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 hating that i'm this is even rationalizing in my brain so i apologize um people are they they are drawn to the realness of the individual that he's willing to say the things that people are thinking so yeah i i i get it i i get what uh 45 did to bring everything down but but people resonated with that and i i guess i'm right now i'm having a a, a moment of concern if you know concern about what can be said from the political office from any political office that won't get him in trouble or you know or what is cancelable versus what is not cancelable yeah i think there's always been an argument um that whenever there's new freedoms given to one people Mm -hmm. that it's censoring another Mm -hmm. Right. You know, I think Larry Elder, his argument uh, as nonsense as it was, because (laughs) what 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 he he who knows, he knows, actually, Mm -hmm. that the uh, the southern slave owners actually did get reparations. Mm -hmm. Right. So so I I don't even know why he bothered saying that because he he knows better. But that's beside the point. I think he did that. He did that to strike up some heat. You know, that's that's smart political tactics. Yeah. yeah, To put himself on the other end of the argument. But 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 when you when you think (laughs) about in general, um, even the argument with critical race theory that we see Mm -hmm. now going on, people Mm -hmm. are saying, you know, what, I don't want my child to feel bad. Uh, right. I don't want them to feel bad about the history. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't want people to bring that into their into their fear. And then in the next end, they'll say, you know what? I don't feel like I can come out and say that without fear of being canceled. So I can't say what I want. Right. But you can't say what you want because right. we don't want you t- talking to my child about what. Right. See, it's all a circle of things that don't make sense. Right. And that's why maybe that's the confusing. Maybe that's why I'm confused. Can can I add, you know, you made me think because I'm glad you brought up the critical race theory theory debate. You know, Condoleezza Rice was on The View uh, last week. Yeah. I saw her going, you know, toe to toe with head to toe with uh, Sonny. Yeah. Um, And, you know, the argument she was making was basically we have no right to make 11 year olds. Uh, feel bad about themselves, right? And so, you, you know, it was like weird because, you know, Condoleezza Rice was a figure just like Colin Powell from the Bush administration, from this administration where we we literally think of it as the last real authentic Republican administration, conservative administration. Mm. And here she is now, you know, in the era of <laughs> Donald Trump, because this is still, you know, we're st- politics has changed so- He still runs it. Right. And, and and she's here making that 
hand argument that you hear from some of the fr- the folks that would be considered fringe just a few years ago, like 20 years ago. So the thing is like, she was making the argument, you know, we have no right to, to impose um, these lessons. And, you know, the thing, that, the thing that really strikes me is like, every time we talk about it, or you hear folks in the media talk about it, we don't actually address what is in uh, the, the lessons of critical race theory. Critical race theory is basically showing why there's an economic gap, why there's a graduation gap. I mean, these are, these are gaps that you can't, you can't deny the fact that these, these gaps exist, you know? You can come up to different reasons as to why they exist, but they exist. And so this this class is designed to pull back the veil and show why it is that we have different uh, economic disparities among different races. Why it is that we have different levels of graduation attainment levels, and you know all these things. And so by her doing that, she's adding a she she provided a cloak of legitimacy to this argument. And when um, one of the other panelists said, "Look, in Germany, they teach everybody about the Holocaust, and there's no two sides to that argument," her response is, "Oh, well, we teach folks about slavery." So to your point, I mean, it's, it's contradictory because how are you going to tell me that slavery doesn't make someone feel bad? You know, the fact that your ancestor helped per- perpetuate this evil system um, at the expense of others. And so, you know, to be, it, it's it's both contradictory, um, but you also see an opening where people are using this both sides argument to legitimize so much because by doing that, um, they think that they're being conservative, but in reality, what you're doing is giving legitimacy to what used to be something that everyone could agree to. You know, everyone could agree that you know there were economic disparities because of race and because of socioeconomic class. That at, there was a time when everyone could agree that those things existed. Now today, it's like a matter of opinion. Um, and so I just thought that was amazing. Yeah, I, I, so especially coming from somebody who was actually a scholar in history, be it even though it's, I believe, Eastern European history is her uh, her, uh, her area of study. But, you know, uh, when she speaks um, of that, she has to willfully turn a blind eye to the ignorance that's uh, being spotted by that side. You know, there's, you know, uh, I, in going back to Colin Powell, this is why. Uh, I think he was so respected uh, by by black people, Democrats uh, especially, um, because you would never see him making that argument, no matter who uh, felt like he should be. Right? Uh, he didn't mind bucking uh, his party for foolishness, um, and uh, I, I I find it uh, I always find it uh, hilariously, and it's, it's not funny that. People are over the last two weeks, and I won't say who, but it must be a sentiment out there. And I've seen it at some rallies uh, for a, a, a past candidate uh, that's still having rallies that people are saying, you know, he was a rhino and we got into Iraq because of him. Yeah. It's now that it's it's now yeah. it's it's now that um somehow uh, it's easy it's easy to say it's easy to say stuff when I'm dead. Well, I mean, somehow the Secretary of State can command the army and uh, uh, declare war and and do yeah. all the other stuff now. Yeah. So just 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 to, just the thought of of uh, how um, people have really turned on the people that they once loved because they don't show their share their political opinion. Um, it, it's amazing. 
Yeah, I think it. You know, it, it Trump really gave a lot of confidence to people to have a lot of irreverence, because Ooh. there was a time that Ooh, Colin like Powell, that. Colin Powell, would be revered. You yeah. know, had he died, say same funeral, right? Same exact funeral. <laughs> say he died during Obama. Say Trump was president. Say he died during Bush forty three. Rotunda. You know, there would have been. <laughs> Bipartisan, you would have had folks on both sides of the aisle yeah, making their rotations on these, you know, social media platforms, on the, on you know, news networks, <clears throat> all saying, echoing the same song, yeah. right? Uh, pretty much like when John McCain died. Yeah. Um, and even when John McCain died, there was this kind of irreverence surrounding him because of <laughs> Trump. And the thing is, like, that's how that's you. The beginning this, of it. This is beyond. This is more than a political movement. Oh, yeah. You know, this is this is, and 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 you know, Hillary Clinton said it. And I agree with it. I mean, this is to a degree, this is a cult because with a cult, there, there is no rationalization. You know, whatever the leader says is the, is the tempo. That's what, that's the beat we're marching to. And, you know, facts, you know, be darned basically. Yeah. We don't, we don't, we, we're not dictated or guided by facts. And that's, I think that's really where black conservatism uh, sort of lost its way in recent years. Yeah. Because Black people are very pragmatic voters. When you look at the fact that during 1960, that was a huge battle for the black vote, Nixon, Kennedy. Um, that was not a guaranteed <laughs> race for Kennedy. It was such a slim margin that he won by. And then in October of 1960, when Shriver goes ahead and you know communicates with Coretta Scott King because Martin Luther King's in the Birmingham jail, and Robert Kennedy is furious at first, but then he starts to think, well, maybe we can get some political benefit from, from you know, talking to Martin Luther King, a telephone call, basically, you know, trying to see, you know, let the press know that we're working with Dr. King to, you know, try to figure out a way to resolve this matter so he can come out. And then Martin Luther King comes out and, you know, he says, well, John F. Kennedy, you know, really did, he, he, he was a helping hand in this, uh, of me being released here. Martin Luther King's father, says, I'm not going to be voting for Nixon anymore. I'm going for Kennedy. And the whole congregation goes. And, he, and that was kind of indicative of how black folks started to view the Republican Party less of the party of Lincoln, the party of abolition, and started to view the Democratic Party more of the party of the Civil Rights uh, Act and the Voting Rights Act, right? And so we've always been on the side of who's benefiting us more. Where, where are the parties on the issues? And so, you know, a lot of people say, oh, the Democratic Party takes your votes for granted. We'll look at the legislative score in the past 50, 60 years. Which party has given you more of a reason to vote for them? You know, um, is it the party that has uh, increased the, the war on drugs or increased, you know, the, the you know, the, the, these policies that um, it, encourage uh, more African-Americans to end up in poverty and, in, in, you know, a subclass state? Or is it the party that passed Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security? Uh, is it the party that, yes, we 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 signed the crime bill in 1994 with African American support, such as Al Sharpton, and uh, you know, you've got um, the congressman um, Rangel, <laughs> you know, supporting that. But you know, which party has given you more of a reason? Um, and and when it comes down to it, black folks, voters have always been on the side of which party benefits them more. When it comes to Colin Powell, I saw him as someone who, yeah, in his heart, he may have been conservative. But look, at the end of the day, look, if this if this president happens to be in alignment with my issues, if this president of my party 
is actually deliberately contrary to American values and institutions and the military itself, then I'm going to have to take a public stance again. And I'm going to have to use my platform to do that. Um, and that courage is something that you're, you're not seeing much of today. Uh, you know, going back to the crime bill, I don't want to stay on that, but it, it's 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 uh, relevant only because of what was the tenor of the '90s. Uh, what what I always uh, implore uh, uh, Democrats to do uh, when this argument comes up that they passed this crime bill is they should ask what the opposition opposition bill from the Republicans was. Uh, and what they were actually pulling for as far as the crime bill was, was much more draconian, much more dangerous, uh, would have been uh, 10 times worse in the black community, but they just didn't have the votes or the power or the, or the pen of the president to get it passed, right? Um, and I think Colin Powell would have lost in 96, to be honest with you, because I think uh, Bill Clinton fashioned himself as the third way, as a Democrat Republicans could vote for. I, I know a lot of Republicans who said the only thing I don't like about Bill Clinton is his his party. You know, they 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 pretty much respected him. So I think uh Colin Powell was was maybe likely being put out uh into danger uh because uh they 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 uh they knew it was a race they couldn't win. I think uh he was loyal as a, a loyal soldier, but I felt like um, he uh, felt a certain way, especially after Iraq. Um, um, and I, I really believe when he was supporting Obama, it had nothing to do with race. I believe if you had taken all things even, he probably would have supported him anyway. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, when it comes down to Colin Powell and, you know, the possibility of him running in 96. I, I think that in, in 1996, think about it. Like, I rem, you know, I've watched, I've rewatched the 96 election coverage. Why, um, why is that? Oh. <laughs> I, <laughs> you might have missed it the first time. It's okay. Maybe, you were here. Maybe. You were here. You were here as it counts. But the thing is, like, uh, Bob Dole was actually, according to what a lot of newscasters back then were saying, that, that was the best Republican they had to run against Bill Clinton. And then when he saw Jack Kemp, Jack Kemp, who was seen as a maverick, someone who was reasonable, someone who was likable, someone, you know, when you hear people say today, I'm a Jack Kemp Republican, that strikes a chord with a lot of, you know, blue dog centrist Democrats. Um, and so that was a strong, that was a relatively, that would be a relatively strong ticket had Bill Clinton not been such, such a successful president. You know, this is a president who uh, balanced the budget. You know, the first time that happened since the 1830s with Andrew Jackson. Um, the economy was completely drastically different than it was in 92. Um, and, and it wasn't just an economy that was primarily beneficial to one demographic. And that's the thing that was interesting. You had a lot of African-Americans who were able to enjoy, uh, you know, somewhat, maybe not to the same degree, but enjoy more so than in 92 and in the 1980s, um, a slice of that economic uh, advantage. And so um, a lot of times the Republican Party, to me, you know, gets lost in the fact that it's not just the fact that the person is black, right? Or the person is a woman or the person is some kind of minority that gets people excited. It's the fact that they stand on where I am on the issues. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that. Now, there's some people who just want to be part of history. Don't get me wrong. But I think about the mistake McCain made in 2008. You know, he saw there was a lot of energy on the Obama side. And he said, look, let me get 
instead of getting Tom Ridge, <laughs> Pennsylvania governor, um, good tied with good ties with George W. Bush, uh, you know, probably would have been a tighter race uh, instead of getting Mitt Romney, um, instead of getting who he wanted, who he revealed later, um, Joe Lieberman, who was a Democrat. That would have been crazy. You know, he goes with Sarah Palin, who he didn't even know that well, all the way out in Alaska, first term governor. Um, and ends up regretting it, but he does it solely because he thinks of the term of, of the fact that maybe people are thinking, hmm, black candidate, let me see, female candidate, let me kind of neutralize the excitement here. And that's just not how a lot most of the voters, the electorate that really decides these these things, uh, thinks. Um, and we've seen it just in this past election, you know. Um, and Trump said, What do you have to lose? You know, and, and the African American community saw, you know, you're talking about how the African American community was affected more by the COVID pandemic than other demographics and not just by the pandemic, but by the accompanying recession. Um, you know, a lot of folks were complaining about how Joe Biden is not exciting enough and how he takes, you know, but we see pragmatically the African-American community throwing their support behind the candidate who is going to get us out of the ditch faster. And I believe Biden would have been president without Kamala Harris. You know, it was a nice gesture. It was a nice, you know, uh, to have had it show that he, you know, was working for the African-American vote. But at the end of the day, I think that slot could have been filled with anybody and we would have had the same result. Yeah, mm. I, I agree. And, you know, we it's been a long time since we had you on the show to kind of talk about the political, uh, the politics of all that. And when you if you really look at Joe Biden uh, as a president, um, you see kind of the weight of expectations. You know, I think when you, if you talk to a lot of people, they say, you know, how long has Biden been in office? They feel like it, he's been in office for like a year or two years. And he, he has, it's only been what, seven, eight months, you know, uh, that he's been here. Um, and, um, and, and even in that, right. You see that, um, the, 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 what what they were trying to do, if you went back to Sarah Palin, I think Sarah Palin created a monster of an army of uninformed voters um, making things up, you know? Um, and they, I think Trump stepped, I think Trump's idea to run started in 08 when he saw how people were lining up against Sarah Palin, didn't know anything about her, didn't care. They just a kid, They just cared about one thing. She was anti-abortion. Uh, they just cared about one thing, that she was for guns. She shoots guns. She shoots animals herself. Uh, that was it. That was enough for them. You know, everything else they made up. I saw a rally where one guy was like, he's for Trump because Trump worked his way up from the bottom. He started off as a construction worker and, um, and worked his way to be a billionaire, right? People just are making stuff up. So there's there's no truth anymore. Um, and when you when you start thinking about a guy like Colin Powell, who was you know whether you're Republican or Democratic, um, if you have a child and your child grew up to be Colin Powell, you'd be happy with yourself as a parent, right? You would be happy with yourself as a parent. Um, you know, that's right. the type of person you tell your kids. That's, that's, that's the type of guy, you know, uh, 
you that you you aim to be, you know, um, not just because of his accomplishments and the things he's done, but someone who isn't afraid to be honest and tell it like it is and uh, can be statesmanly and, and can be eloquent and can be kind in, in the way he, he carries himself. All those things were attributes of great leaders that have now gone away, right? Now it's it's fine to bash, it's fine to uh, destroy, it's fine to go public without having the full uh, amount of information and, and, and act as though you're more qualified than, than those who do, right? So I think when we look at the way the world has responded to COVID, um, we have con- countries that are much more dense than ours, right? There's a density in the coasts in our country, right? But in the, in the flyover states, if you ever, when you fly over uh, Kansas, you see these big plots of land, you know, these are several acres, you know, and you see a, one little house and then another little house. A, a lot of our, the, the majority of our, 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 our country is not dense, but the way that we became as far as this anger towards information and intellectualism, right, has spurned this COVID crisis to be much worse than it is. And the fact that Colin Powell died of COVID, well, I, he obviously, you know, uh, uh, God bless uh, 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 um, Secretary Powell and his family um, because they, uh, uh, he was going through a lot of different medical issues, right? And COVID yeah. seems to be the, uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. No, yeah. no pun, pun intended. But I think even though with all that is this lack of, in this fight against vaccination, has made it so even an individual like himself who was being very careful and being vaccinated and things like that was still contract at risk of contracting it because there's so many people who are not listening to and following the advice, uh, the advice of people who have no idea what they're talking about. Right. Yeah. Right. There, there's a gentleman um, and, I, and I wanted to bring him up for a reason. Lee Atwater, uh, who was the architect uh, behind uh, the Ronald Reagan victories in, in 80 and 84, and then the George H.W. Bush victory in 88. Um, he was someone who was a very shrewd uh, political operative. And he was, he, he had such a, uh, such a reputation that on his deathbed uh, in the early 1990s, he actually wrote a, a list out of all of his sins Oh mercy! He did against folks and started to call people one by one to his hospital room and ask for forgiveness. Um, sidebar: He actually was the one who orchestrated the Gary Hart uh, scenario on the monkey business boat. But anyway, he was caught saying this. He said by nineteen six. He said um, in the nineteen fifties, you could say, and he says the N word three times. He says by nineteen sixty eight, you cannot say that word because it hurts you. It backfires. So you say stuff like force busing, states' rights, and all that stuff. And you're getting so abstract. Now you're talking about cutting taxes and all these things are you're talking about are totally economic things. And a byproduct of them is blacks get hurt more than whites. These are his words. He said, we want to cut this um, is more abstract than even the busing thing and a heck of a lot more abstract than he says the N-word, N-word, N-word again. And I think that's indicative because as we're talking about Colin Powell, it's important to know that it's not like the Republican Party 
you know, went through a hundred percent transformation. I, we're talking about the style and pros of the politics, right? Uh, the policies were one argument that we were having, but now we're talking about just the basic understanding of truth. Um, but I, I thought it was important to understand that this was a man who was able to still be in the party, you know, with the policies, the, the domestic policies that according to someone who was in the inner circle of, uh, you know, two Republican administrations um, were designed without African-Americans in mind, you know, at, at least favorably. He was able to be a, an effective uh, problem solver on the, on the foreign policy front in that kind of environment still. Um, and, and I don't think he, it, I don't think he denied the fact that some of these policies were the way they were. I think he was conservative still um, in his heart because of the principles. Um, and I think a lot of us, you know, a lot of African-American folks who call themselves conservatives, I'm not one, um, struggle with that. You know, uh, we, there's this kind of self-denial um, that you see a lot of them engaging in this kind of denial of, we're talking about critical race here, history, a denial of facts and reality in terms of who benefits more from <laughs> the 2017 tax cuts. You know what I'm saying? Um, and you have a movement where you have, a, especially, you know, you see a lot of young people too thinking, saying, I'm going to be an independent thinker. But a, lot, <laughs> a lot of in, independent, I think Colin Powell was an independent thinker. Because an independent thinker doesn't necessarily mean just going against the grain just for the sake mm -hmm. of going against the grain. It means you have to have specific, tangible reasons, as he laid out in his Powell doctrine, for taking a position. You know, look at the look at the issue from all sides and all angles. Yeah. And I, and I heard someone say, look, Lyndon Johnson was caught saying, oh, we're gonna get these n-words to vote for us for the next hundred years. That may be the truth, but at the end of the day, the black folks made their support and said, okay. If this Democratic president is doing this for political reasons, so be it, right? At the end of the day, we have voting rights. We did not have that before. Uh, we, we had to go into the voting booth on a prayer because we could have been chased down with a dog or a fire hose, mm -hmm. or we had to do some kind of demeaning test, like count bubbles on a, a you know, on a bar of soap or, you know, amount of, you know, mm -hmm. jelly beans in a jar. And so if even if that's how they talk about us behind closed doors, okay. At least I'm coming out with a better outcome in the long run. And no one is saying either of these parties are perfect. But the thing is, what made Colin Powell ideal was the idea, the fact that he was able to look at the parties imperfect as they are and still navigate in a world where he was a problem solver in between uh, a system with two flawed parties. Not equally flawed, but two flawed parties. Yeah, yeah I've always looked at uh the republican parties as really missing an opportunity in my in my eyes um i i think they had an opportunity with immigrants you know i think immigrants Great. naturally are uh more conservative Absolutely. than than people right i think Absolutely. the politics probably lined up better with the republicans but the treatment coming in the door is so bad uh, that, you know, it causes them to align with who will at least tolerate them and, and most times embrace them. You know, when you go to South Florida and you see, you know, I, I have uh, Cuban friends that uh, grew up in South Florida and then ones that didn't. Mm -hmm. And uh, in South Florida, 
the Cuban population there is very largely Republican. And why? It's because they felt like there were some points where Reagan gave amnesty and it created generations of Republican voters. And I think uh, that that kind of goes to Colin Powell being the son of hardworking immigrants, um, never really turning back on that life of uh, of being, you know, having to uh, work hard, not complain, and stuff like that. The way the one of the reasons I showed that clip before is he kind of said, you know what not complain. And then I heard a few weeks ago where, you know, he was talking to uh, a report, famous reporter and they are, they're talking to him like, you're sick and this and that. He was like, oh, look, don't feel sorry for me. I've lived a long life. You know, um, that thought, that hard working to the day I die, not feel sorry for me is a very immigrant um, philosophy famous, right? so. uh, about working hard. And um, I don't know if, in with all the noise, I know there was a lot. There was someone uh, we'll, who we won't name who said something very uh, crass um, towards him. But I felt like some of that's drowned out. Um, probably what will go down later on in history as one of the true great American stories, um, and, and that will be his life. Uh, Colin Powell. Uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 unfortunate, you know, what you said. Just kind of sat with me a little bit where I, I'm thinking that, you know, the person that we're not naming wants to write everybody's history. And and uh, brand his history. And it, it, it's, it's to me, it's couched in racism or it, a little, a lot of it, but it's also couched in um, lack of self-awareness. <laughs> Um, in, on on so many fronts, you know, I can I, I feel like we're trying to paint such an try to paint everybody's eyes closed and just distract everybody from what I'm doing. It you know from a biblical perspective, you know, uh, y- y- y'all know yep. I've seen this story. We we've read this story so many times. Yep. If I can distract everybody from what I'm doing. If I could, you know, we've seen, we know how this plays out. We know how this plays out. And there's so many people, so many of us that are falling for it. And that's the part that kind of baffles me. You know, I look at Colin Powell's story and I'm like, this, this, this dude was fantastic. And the very first thing that you did was, you know, the person that we're not naming is you tried to make it seem as though his life was full of only flaws. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but you're not paying attention to what you just did. It's, re- it's really, it's really childish in, in my, in, in my, in my purview. But yeah, I mean, I'm like, oh, man, this, we've seen the story before. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, I, you were mentioning Bill Clinton, and I think about the fact that you know, in in those remarks, he was talking about how he got us into the Iraq War, or was instrumental, you know, in the in the role he played um, in getting us involved in Iraq. When there were no weapons of mass destruction, nobody's going to deny the fact that that was a huge error. I think that already we're seeing history books being written where that was a mistake. You know, that war uh, was not justified. You know, we're talking about bypassing all of the UN procedures uh, to get <laughs> to, to get folks 
all, all of the all of the things that have to be in place before we get militarily involved um, in a country like Iraq uh, were kind of bypassed, and they were bypassed in the United Nations, where we were playing host for, you know, in imposing and all of these regulations in the first place. Yes, Colin Powell was instrumental in that, but just like Bill Clinton, it's like you're able to look at the big picture and you're able to see, okay, overall, yes, this, this person had flaws. Yes, they made a mistake in this moment in history, but overall you see a trajectory upward, you know? Um, and I think that's a, that's a thing that a lot of Republicans, you know, get upset about the legacy with Bill Clinton on, you know, with the, the Ken Starr investigation and everything, they wanted to take this man down. Um, and they want, and you know, I don't know if you guys have been watching the recent um, uh, series that's been going on, FX Impeachment, uh, American Crime Story. Mm -hmm. of course, I, I haven't watched it, but but, but I, I heard <laughs> I, I heard uh, Monica Lewinsky talking about the Axe Files the other day. You know, of course, it's a uh, Hollywood drama. station. Everything you got to take everything with a grain of salt, but. The thing that really stood out to me in watching this, and it's still going on, is just how hellbent uh, these folks are or were in just destroying Bill Clinton. Not, you know, wanting to beat him at the polls or wanting to get a Republican Congress in 98. No, we want to destroy and humiliate this man. Um, and, and despite the flaws, uh, the overwhelming majority of people say, look, I see what he's done, but overall... I see someone who has always strived to do better. Um, and I think with Colin Powell and his mistake with, you know, the Iraq war and people saying the same thing. Yeah. I, 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 I've never, I, I think, you know, you can't have it both ways with Colin Powell. There was this whole theory that the, the United Nations didn't mean much. Remember those days where Kofi yeah. Annan would say something and Bush yeah. would be like, who cares? Like, yeah. I'm the president of the United States. Who cares about the United Nations? Yeah. You know? And uh, to go back and say that now Colin Powell's speech in front of the United Nations is the reason why we went to Iraq seems to be a bridge too far. It seems to be deflecting on, he wasn't the commander in chief. Uh, he wasn't even uh, the secretary of, 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 of anything that was war on, on the side of war, right? The secretary of state. I mean, my goodness, it's the chief diplomat for goodness yeah. sake. And he was uh, held, held out there as now that it's his fault that we went to Iraq since then. And he understood the chain of command, you know, you, you don't you don't buck the commander in chief, if, even if you're secretary of state. Right. Because mm -hmm. you have a chain. You have the Joint Chiefs. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs reports to uh, the secretary of defense uh, or the secretary, you know, and th there's a there's a line. And so he was given orders and, you know, people can say, well, he could have resigned. And, you know, the, the counter argument to that would be, OK, well, resign or make an influence uh, in this young administration. On the foreign policy front, you know what? What do you think would have had a better outcome in the long run? Making a political point, or making a geopolitical point, or going ahead and sticking with the administration? And you know, and folks have their different opinions on that. But you know, in terms of someone asking what the difference between Colin Powell and political philosophy, or or someone like Jim Clyburn, I think with Colin Powell there was more. I, I can see him as someone who was probably in alignment with the traditional, you know, argument against. Uh, a lot of the domestic social programs, uh, you know, shrinking the size of government and bureaucracy, um, 
focusing more on the individual and individual uh, charity and, and, and responsibility. Uh, whereas Clyburn would probably take the position of look, government. right. We're, we're at a disadvantage yeah. for a reason. <laughs> so let's do whatever we can yeah. sure. to get us back to a, a place of being at the best position politically, not just in terms of our votes, uh, but in terms of our health, you know, we're seeing it with the reconciliation negotiations. Now the, the, the struggle between the conservatives and the more the conservative Democrats and the more liberal Democrats, uh, what are we willing to cut as it pertains to, you know, healthcare, prescription drug prices, uh, all of those things. And I think that's where the philosophy differs. I think both of them understood the overall goal was to advance the black community through government, but of course, real differences in how to get there. Yeah, I, I, I don't see, I, I've never heard that Clyburn is that conservative of a Democrat either. Uh, I think he, he's, he's a Southern Democrat, so uh, there's certain things that hold up more in the South than do in the Northeast or the West. Uh, they probably weren't that far away in thought from the way that they viewed the world um, because they were similar age and had similar experiences in the world. I'm sure they both remember a time when people that looked like them couldn't vote, couldn't go to certain places uh, and were treated a certain way. So I think those uh, shared experiences will at least yield some similar results as far as their worldview. Uh, welcome, um, um, Dr. John Nixon. Um, Sorry, man, I bored me tonight. Yeah, well, it's been long, man. Yeah, we 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 figured uh, we figured <laughs> there's a few uh, other stragglers. Good good conversation tonight uh, uh, and, uh, about Colin Powell. Um, from your standpoint, from more of a, a theologian, theologian and, and a spiritual standpoint, uh, what do you have to say about maybe the integrity of, of Colin Powell as a man and how that struck you? You know, I, yeah, a lot of stuff that you can't know about a person, obviously, um, 100%. There was just something about the way that he carried himself that seemed like he was a person of integrity, that, that if he did not agree with something, he wasn't going to be quiet. He wasn't just going to go along. But I do think uh, what Mike said earlier is important. He's not also going to make a ruckus if he has a big problem with something and he's you know, disagreeing with his commander in chief. I think that goes to his integrity as well. I think he's the type that maybe would, and I don't even know because I, I was never there for any of this. He just seemed like the type of person who uh, always wanted to make sure that he showed respect to his authority person, person in authority. And like, like you said, Mike, the chain of command thing seemed to be very big for him. And I always respected that about him. I also never really heard any big scandals about Colin Powell ever coming out. And I'm not sure that that's always necessarily uh, means you never had any. Uh, but for the most part, people that want to find dirt in you when they're really looking, they can find it. And, uh, you know, he seemed to have one of those... Uh, clean careers you know what i'm saying so anyway I, I always liked him i always thought he was a great guy and i was i was very sad when i heard that he passed away um especially with all the you know complications with covid and stuff like that uh so many people have been lost during this year and a half and it's been uh very tough to to see all of it people that you feel like should still be here if it wasn't for this pandemic you know what i'm saying He's definitely one of them. He's going on to a long list of people that we lost during this time. Um, 
Anyway. Yeah, I, I uh, and you seem to have an a, a affection for people who love their wives, and I think he was, he, he was he was one of those guys who, in particular, uh, was known for having a very strong relationship with his wife. In fact, it, uh, we talked about earlier a little bit that his wife was against him running in 96. And he oh. talked about it's very flat, flattering for people to pick you to run for president and feel like you can be, you know, it's, it's you know, it's an ego boost. But uh, his wife uh, very publicly uh, feared for his safety and, and, and said that he shouldn't run and he didn't. Um, and I think that's a sign of your relationship with your wife, you know, yeah. and, I, and, and, you know, I know we've talked about Obama before and, you know, his, you know, making sure Michelle was okay with it, mm-hmm. you know, or not, not just okay with it. It was something that she endorsed before he would move forward um, was kind of a sign of his relationship with uh, her. I agree with that. There's one more thing that you said though, that, that kind of strikes me. And I always felt this about Colin Powell. It's an aspect of integrity in my opinion. And that is knowing and understanding yourself. It always felt like no matter what people said about Colin Powell and what they wanted him to do, what they thought he could do, he always seemed to have an understanding of what he felt was right for him. And I would say that that running for president in 96 thing is a good example. I think it's listening to his wife. I think it's also knowing and understanding what he can handle, what he would want to do in that situation. He could have just gotten the big head and you know listened to what everybody said and be like, all right, I'm going to do it. And who knows how that would have come out. I don't think he would have won in 96. I think that was too early for a black man to win, you know, but way too early, <laughs> but, but, but I, but I feel like he always seemed like the kind of person that knew himself and understood the kinds of things that were right for him. And I think that goes to, um, I don't know, man, sometimes we're not willing to look at ourselves to know uh, what we really see when we look in the mirror. We'd rather hear what people say about us when they're trying to big us up. We'd rather, you know, believe the press, believe the hype, whatever. He never seemed like that kind of guy. You couldn't blow smoke. You know the rest of that thing <laughs> toward him. And he, you know what I'm saying? He's not going <laughs> to, he's, yeah, he's not going to fall for that. In, in my opinion, he just seemed like that kind of guy. I, I always respected that about him, but he definitely seemed like he had a good relationship with his wife too. And when I said no scandals, I actually was talking about from that perspective. I think in that position, you probably have a lot more opportunity to be unfaithful and we never heard anything about that and i think that that means something maybe something will come out later i don't know but no i, I doubt it <laughs> no, i'm sure i'm sure something might have been manufactured had he run for president you know absolutely uh, there's a lot of dirt that gets slung in the mud uh period you know i i uh, i i i don't i don't I don't liken him to Jesus either, you know? Uh, yeah. And, and I, I think when we think about uh, his memory, it'll always be more uh, to me that even though he he was aligned with the Bushes, even though he did all that, we never called him a sellout. You know right. what That's I mean? very true. That is a You never saw him like that. No, no one saw him as a sellout. Right. Uh, there's times where people disagreed Iraq Definitely there. Uh, I, I would argue even on Iraq where uh, America was thirsty for revenge for 9-11. Mm-hmm. And we were going to get it mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. And it was a time where caution got thrown to the wind more than anything because the will of the people were of that 
you know, we were united in purpose again mm-hmm. for war, right? Um, I, 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 you know, not making excuses because I obviously was against the war uh, then and uh, and still am now. I don't think it. I think we we wasted uh, a lot of resources, um, and we have potholes on streets with multi million dollar houses. Right. Uh, all because we, we were spending all the money in Afghanistan and Iraq. Can I, can I add this? Um, you know, even in American history, there's very few times, you know, especially in recent history, where you could see where the public actually endorses a candidate before the candidate makes a presidential exploratory committee or goes to a, a CPAC convention to test the waters or anything like that. You can go to George Marshall. You know, back in, you know, 1940s in the aftermath of World War II, there was, you know, this kind of reverence that kind of followed him, you know, in, in terms of how he handled uh, the division of East and West uh, Germany um, and, and the restoration projects that took place afterward. Uh, you go to Dwight Eisenhower in 1952. Both parties were actually wooing him over, uh, Democrats and Republicans. And so I think it speaks to character a lot. I think, you know, Clinton was a very popular president, uh, the first baby boomer president. Uh, the economy was, you know, just up and jumping in 96 and compared to 92. And, you know, he was the first president to balance the budget since Andy Jackson in 1937 or 38. So there's a lot going for it. I think that was the last blowout election. You know, if you go up to the <laughs> election map of 1996, you don't really see, you know, from 2000 to 2020, you don't really see maps like that anymore. It's a very, it's always a very close uh, election. Um, but it, Bob Dole, you know, was really blown out of the water and it wasn't really reflected a reflection of Bob Dole as much as it was just the flavor of the deck. It was, it was just, you know, Bill Clinton was just, he, you know, he caught lightning in a bottle, the timing, the message, the domestic, uh, you know, the fact that we were not, we were at a peacetime, uh, in this country, we're not at a time of war. Um, so the, the flavor wasn't so much for foreign policy. And I think in addition to the fact that I think, you know, it was probably early for an African-American president in 96. Um, and I mentioned this earlier, uh, the, the year I was born. Um, I think <laughs> just the domestic front was, was just the focus for a lot of these uh, is, issues. It was, it was a very domestic issue focused campaign back then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we're, we're joined by uh, 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 Assistant Superintendent Gabriel Madrid. Uh, before we get out of here, because uh, we're we're getting close to time, I want to <laughs> give you a chance to talk, uh, give a few words for uh, Secretary Powell and your feelings. Always liked him. Seemed like a good guy. Wasn't necessarily on the same side um, on a lot of issues, but he always seemed like a respectable individual, somebody who you could disagree with but you knew that he was coming from a place of, of um, character, a place, mm-hmm. you know, a place where I could trust. Mm-hmm. I, I can trust you if I, if I disagree with you, but I believe you're truly wanting what's best. And this is how you believe we can achieve that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see that a lot in politicians these days. Uh, I think when we do see it in politicians, um, they, rise up the ranks pretty quickly. They're, mm-hmm. they're state senators and then 
their senators in two years and then their, their president in two right. more years, right? right? Because we see that even if you disagree with every single opinion or policy, uh, you believe in their intent, mm -hmm. right? And that's important. So I feel uh, Colin Powell is the same way. Uh, I did want to say Mike was <clears throat> spoke eloquently about the 96 election. He missed one thing, though. Um, one of the other reasons why Bill Clinton won was because uh, we knew he was still viral. I mean, not, not viral. Uh, he still had uh, virility. Is that the word? Yeah. Yeah. That's the word. And uh, Dole ended up uh, just seeming like he was an old guy who could never, ever uh, get in the bed with his wife ever again, um, <laughs> which is why he ended up doing the Viagra commercials. Right. Uh, because even though he lost the election, he wanted to, he wanted to show he could still bet his wife. So, you know, there That's was also right. that. We knew Bill Clinton could get it. Oh, yeah. He didn't have any problem there. He yeah. had proved it over the first four years. Track record. <laughs> Track his whole life in politics. Well, I, I think I think uh, Bill Clinton, great timing in politics, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you go back and think uh, uh, how he was, you know, even became the candidate in 1992, uh, it was a long shot. He got into the election late. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, in 88, you know, a, a few things could have went the other way. You could have very well had a Democrat as a president in 88 and Bill Clinton wouldn't have been able to run in 92. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, you know, the, the, the world has always been, um, uh, uh, you know, a game of inches. Um, I'm always amazed that, uh, even someone like Colin Powell who never ran for any office ever, he was never part of any election, uh, mm -hmm. maybe not even student council in high school, uh, <laughs> had such a huge effect on, politics mm. right uh and, and 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 like i said earlier uh seemed to be the forrest gump of of american politics over the last 60 years uh we're gonna get out of here uh we always end with a question this week's question to everybody <clears throat> if pick one uh wife who was very powerful uh, in American history and why the most powerful wife, the most powerful wife in American history. Yeah. In your mind. Right. I'm sure uh, everyone has different American history starting in, in 1776 or all the way back to 1620. I don't, you, you pick one. I don't know. That's a good point. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> I'm just trying to get, you know, Make sure we're using the, the right dates. So I'm sure you. I'm sure you can go back uh, further than that, Gabe, to uh, find yeah, out who America Despucci's wife was, or something, Amerigo Despucci, or whatever. But um, <laughs> you, you, you okay. So <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll start with you, uh, uh, Mr. Mike Taylor. Yeah, I think um, you know. I think you'd have to mention Eleanor Roosevelt. And I say that because even in the 1930s, you know, people think that 92 was the first time they felt like <laughs> you're getting two for the price of one with Bill and Hillary Clinton. I would argue that Hillary Clinton got a lot of inspiration from Eleanor Roosevelt. And I think that because Franklin Roosevelt was restricted with his uh, polio. Oh, his, uh, yeah, he had polio. And so, of course, the press didn't show and reveal him having to, you know, be moved with these lock braces 
from the wheelchair to the car and the car even had, it was designed in a way where he had to press a button for gas as opposed to press on a pedal with his foot. Hmm. Eleanor Roosevelt was able to be his surrogate in places where he couldn't be to sell programs that a lot of us cannot like social security was called the third rail of American politics for such a long time. You know, um, you know, you talk to seniors today, whether regard, they could be the most, you know, Trump supporting senior. They're like, don't touch my social security, you know, social security medic. Uh, you're talking about all the new deal programs. She helped sell, um, in 1932 when he was a candidate and and in office because he had a lot of opposition similar to today when you're seeing biden getting opposition from the build back better agenda and reconciliation and a lot of people saying well this is this is too much you know focus on the roads and bridges don't focus don't don't talk about child tax credits and stuff here we can't afford all that you know that kind of argument was still alive and well in the 1930s and eleanor roosevelt was able to be like his eyes and ears in places in the country where he couldn't be. And Hillary Clinton, um, you know, I think learned a lot from that. And in places where Bill Clinton fell, you know, go, you go back to the CBS interview where they, they got Bill Clinton down with his wife and they're like, you know, what's going on with your marriage? Is this some sort of arrangement? And he said, look, this is not an arrangement. These are two people that love each other. And she jumped to his defense. It kind of gave the nod to the American public, like, look, stay out of our private lives and focus on the fact that this is a good candidate here. And she said, heck, if that's not enough for you, don't vote for him. So I kind of gave two answers there with Eleanor Roosevelt and Hillary Clinton. But those Dude, are my he, he, you took two. You took two people from us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> very, very, very uh, lawyerly. You just, I you, give you, you credit. You, 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 yeah. you, Howard Law School has done you well. <laughs> Salute to them. Uh, and you just took um, the only two women that Sheldon knows in U.S. history. So right. he's yeah. done that. So why don't we go to Sheldon? Yeah, yo, that's that crazy part. That's all facts. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I guess the, the 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 easiest one would be to say Michelle Obama, probably because of how historic it was. Um, but probably let's let's go with uh, Carol Claudia Alta Johnson. Who? <laughs> LB Lady Bird Johnson. Oh, gotcha. Uh, as to why, I think she, you know, set up probably some of the foundations of what we see as first ladies now. You know, with some of the things that she was able to, to do as far as uh, pretty much creating her own press, you know, way that she dealt with the press and things like that. It's a good, it's a good pick. Yeah. So let's it's go with LBJ. I, I didn't see that one coming, Sean. To be honest, you kind of limit. You actually limited me to what I can say on. See, you didn't really give me much room. I, I, I didn't see that. That's a very good pick. <laughs> you limited me. You limited me. I had to. I had to be actually. I had to actually had to fake. Gabe. So, just so I'm not. You said. Just pick somebody, game. You know hundreds. No, no, I'm just saying because because we had two first ladies. And my person's not a first lady, so I'm just yeah. It doesn't to have to be a first lady. Oh, okay. yeah, right. All right, so mine I, isn't I mean, a first lady. It will be surprised. It's gonna shock you. Wait, wait, wait. I, I must have missed the rules then because I, if 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 we're not if it's not first ladies, I can go. Back I just said wife. Yeah, he said wife. So yeah. so too late, Sheldon. You already got yours. So um, <laughs> I wanted to say Yoko Ono, but just as a joke. Uh, cause she broke up the Beatles, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go 
I'm actually going to go with Harriet Tubman. Yeah. Which is going to show that uh, Sheldon uh, is a chauvinist Mm -hmm. because he picked a president's wife, Mm -hmm. whereas I have picked Harriet Tubman, who is far is the only famous person in the couple. None of you know who John Tubman was or her second husband because women can be wives and still be the historical figure uh, in the relationship. So I'm going with Harriet Tubman. It's a good one. I, I want to stay funny. I'm going fictional. Um, mine is uh, Claire Underwood from House of Cards. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. The cutthroatiest woman I've ever seen in my entire life. Ever. She will do everything. That, that is facts. <laughs> that is First a lady fact. and also president. I believe Pre- right. Secretary president. of State and president. Yes. And killer. Right. Yeah, and murder. Mm-hmm. That's mine. My, mine, you won't believe it, but mine is Dr. Priscilla Chan, the wife of Mark Zuckerberg. Wow. Because had it not been for her helping him get over his devastating relationship that he was reeling from, Facebook wouldn't be here. And if Facebook wasn't here, who knows what world we'll be living in right now? No one be watching you right now, I'll tell you that. Correct. <laughs> we wouldn't be here. Uh, and she's been kind of like the stabilizing force in his life. Uh, uh, you know, some might argue, especially with the news that's been coming out with Facebook, um, you know, uh, how great it, of a company it actually is. But I think all the negative news about Facebook just shows how powerful it is that not only does it change elections, enable insurrections and uh, create create a new generation of social uh, media millionaires and billionaires. It's created uh, another form of communication, right? Mm-hmm. Remember when Facebook first came out, people thought it was MySpace and things like that, and they thought it would pass. Yeah. But all of a sudden, you know, Can't we're heading towards 20 years of Facebook, Can't right? It's 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 and only phone. John has MySpace, right? MySpace, please. I've never had that. He didn't have I'm like MySpace the latest one to get any of the social media stuff. I only have Facebook because Paul went to Korea. That's true. <laughs> wow, it's true. It's true. But uh, yeah, now it's oh seven or oh. Right, I'm saying Facebook can be out by then. I'm saying everybody <laughs> yeah. was using it. I still yeah. have a Facebook page. So, but uh, but I, I think uh, you know sometimes there's a woman there that. Her actions alone uh, enable a man to reach his fullest potential. And I think uh, Dr. Priscilla Chan was that person. Well, everybody, thanks for coming out tonight. Thanks uh, for Mr. Mike Taylor for joining us again. Uh, Hopefully we'll get you back as we start back into the silly season in a few months of the midterms. Uh, Thanks for uh, Sheldon Kennedy holding us down. The late arrivals of Dr. John Nixon and uh, and, and Gay Madrid. Uh, we we might be moving our time uh, to a different night and time. Stay tuned. Uh, we're trying to figure out the best time now that we're out and about. People have board meetings, basketball practices, and things like that. We yeah. need to figure out a time when uh, in person stuff, man. Uh, we uh, in person now. We have travel time built into everything. Um, uh, it's it's a little more difficult, but stay with us. 
Stay tuned, and we'll be back. Uh, thanks for coming out to the boy, Michelle. Harry Tubman, free slaves. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and just like that, we're gone. <laughs>